Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Evolving Engineering and Construction Brands podcast with your producer, Lisha Ball. This week, your host, Matthew Winkelstein, is having an engaging conversation with Josh Roberts, owner of Rainmaker Productions. They cover topics including how AEC firms can better prepare for critical moments during the business development and pursuit phase with a client. Josh discusses how communication needs to be succinct and calculated, especially in short amounts of time, and how transparency is essential in building a good reputation with your potential client. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did producing it. Josh, how are you doing today? Great, Matt. Good to see you. How are things? Good, man. Good, man. Really appreciate you doing this. I feel like I'm a big cosmic energy believer. And throughout my the last four years of my career, there's been this cosmic energy that's been telling me to reach out to you through various people that you and I both respect. So yes. we finally were able to connect a couple months ago or however long it's been now. It was fantastic to finally meet you and all that cosmic energy was pulling in the right direction. So appreciate right. you agreeing to do this. My pleasure. I believe in the same thing. And I can't tell you how many times that we've had to rely on that energy to connect us and not work too hard because there's enough work going on. And so sometimes you just got to let the universe work and here we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I wanted to have you on this call because we both do AEC marketing, but in different ways, we probably dabble a little bit in where each other, where we each do work, but we have our different domains of expertise. And so right. mine on the front end kind of customer reputation side, which people who listen to the show are f- very familiar with that. You're more on the client capture side, probably a little bit more on the awareness side in the beginning too, but you've been a pioneer in your space and the way that people present to clients, the things that they communicate, you've helped some big clients secure projects. So I thought that this would be a good conversation to discuss some of the things that you're doing to help evolve clients, be more client focused, talk a little bit on the content side. And then of course, like always we'll end with your best routine or habit. Sound good? Sounds great. Awesome. Before we get into it, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, talk a little bit about Rainmaker, and then we'll get into your history through AEC, your time at Kiwa, your time out, and we'll go from there. Sounds good. To start things off, my name is Josh Roberts. I own a firm called Rainmaker Productions, and I started this firm almost six years ago with an understanding that the industry needs help communicating and presenting and realizing what really shapes them to make them different in critical moments where you're selling, where decisions are on the line, where you've taken the culmination of what people have worked hard through all the positioning and the other steps of the procurement, like one-on-ones to the proposal to the finally the shortlist interview where I've hung my hat for the last decade is my specialty. But that's our focus. And we pick a few select firms to train every year in BD and the cycle and what makes you different. I think a lot of folks in the industry, my running joke is that you didn't get into this business because you wanted to be a public speaker or a great presenter. But unfortunately, it's a necessary evil in everything we do today. So that was the premise of me starting a group at QIT a while ago. And also going out on my own to continue to grow and service other firms that I know have the need when it comes to those critical moments. Awesome. We'll get into Kiwa here in a minute and why you started that group. When we can talk about some of the success there, there's, I don't think there's anyone in college that seeks out to say, I want to be an AEC marketer. So how did you end up in the AEC space? 
That's an easy one. And frankly, you just have to look at the history of my family. My father was a general contractor. I grew up in Arvada, Colorado, on job sites, mucking concrete, pushing a broom, hauling stuff around, whatever it took. And I vowed never to work for a contractor ever again at one point in my life, but I should have said I don't want to work for family. So <laughs> once I drew that separation through college, I worked for professional sports in the PGA. And then I moved to one of their technology sponsors and was with them for five years and just decided after that that I needed to make a change and I felt the pull back into AEC. My roots are there, felt comfortable, felt right. So that was through the whole dot-com slash dot-bomb era where you had to make a decision in your career about companies that are driven by analysts and stock and all these other things, or do you want to help communities build infrastructure and vertical and things that they need, things that you feel like you're contributing to making this world a better place. Back in 05, I dove back in. I got in with a small firm that focused on water, wastewater, that was part of a larger firm. Then that larger firm and all the conglomerates got swallowed up by Qit, And I ended up moving over to the Qit companies not too long after that. But it was in my roots. And I just feel this calling to this industry that it was meant for me and I was meant for them and not to build things but to market and to differentiate and to understand how we communicate in this business and how we can all help each other to understand where value lives in the conversation. When did communication become so important to you and when did you decide to dedicate your career to it? Interesting because I realized at a very early age how important communication was. When I was 18, starting in professional sports, I started studying executives and how salespeople talk to their clients and how we spoil people and create an experience for them. The way people talk to others is the baseline of great business and great partnership. And if you start to understand that everything we do is communication, the root of all problems is communication and hear these things over time. And you start to say, wow, that's such an important piece of business that we so easily forget. So when I was working in stage production and video production earlier in my career. Communication and how you do that succinctly and in a short amount of time, it was imperative to what we did. So if we had a one minute spot we were working on, we could not go and generate this giant script. We had to be very calculated in the words we used and how much time we had to deliver those words. So luckily in video production, film's cheap and you get to run a lot of that. But <laughs> When you're in a live moment and putting someone on a stage or in front of a client for a billion dollar job, what you say, how you say it, how you look, how you sound, all that really matters. And I just started to pick up on that earlier in my career and said, why aren't we focusing on this more in our business where people make decisions? So it was maybe a loophole, maybe a honey hole, maybe <laughs> one of those things that we just discredited until we realized how important it was. And I like to think that I was on the forefront of that thinking and shaping a business around how you pitch yourself and the team of people around you when those moments are on the line, when you got a big job on the line. So those who aren't familiar with Kiwit, Kiwit is a 
10 plus billion dollar a year company, depending on the year, privately held, enormous company when you're inside of it. And one of the things that Kiwit does extremely well is they have these district meetings where they get, you know, how many hundreds to thousands of people that are in this, in whatever business unit is, and they have this day long rallying cry. It's a big production. It feels huge when you're there, it really gets you excited. And so you led that for a little while. And then you ultimately went on to start a group that was more focused on client proposals. What did you learn when you were communicating to all the internal folks that you took to our external customers? That's a good question. And frankly, it's a lot of the same if you're doing it right. But what I realized, taking all that big event and stage and video production from my past into Qit, they were a very conservative firm and they didn't generate a bunch of videos, a bunch of lighting, a bunch of excitement, a bunch of sound and things that got people jacked up. Now, their message in itself is beautiful and incredibly strong. But we strengthened that over time in the, I think I've managed 16 or 17 district meetings as kind of a, almost a side project to my real job of trying to win work and coaching interviews. We watched the whole populace start to gravitate to how we did things and getting excited about their job and really the stories and the value that came out of those stories and how we push that forward in chasing other work. So when you work in a qualifications-based world, you have to know, number one, on paper, what makes you different? Number two, you got to get that out of your mouth. And there's great forums like these district meetings you're talking about where we can get together and learn from each other, build camaraderie, get consensus around those things that make you different and share some of those war stories, success stories, whatever it is from lessons learned to a great new best practice that was created. So all that work gets transformed unilaterally across the organization in order to be better for your next pursuit. And then we took that to realizing there wasn't a specialized group that focused on this within the business. So I volunteered for that and I saw it as an opportunity to follow my dream and something that was really important to me. And frankly, I just got tired of doing proposals all the time and I didn't want to dedicate all my time to that. I cut my teeth there. I love that part of the job, but it's a thankless part of the job at times because you're just on to the next. So at least we get to see them through to the finish line and hopefully get the win. And I don't like the word hope, but every now and then you have to use it. Hope is not a strategy. Exactly right. Never was, never will be. No. So now you're at Kiwit, you've transitioned into this where you're wearing multiple hats. And what opportunity did you see where you said, hey, you know what? I know how much you enjoyed your time at Kiwit. We spoke about that. If you want to talk about that a little bit, you can. But you enjoyed your time at Kiwit, but you saw this opportunity outside of Kiwit that you felt like you needed to pursue. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? When we started the interview prep and speaker training program, that there was a big buzz behind that. And the internal group that was created that was part of really focused on their most strategic work. I was honored to be a part of that. For the four or five years we did it, we just saw a transformation of certain groups and trained a lot of people to understand how to handle those moments and how to demystify them. Because my whole idea was that you start to transform all of your big client meetings, all of your big internal meetings, not just client like shortlist interviews, but 
all these critical moments became practice points and a lot of things where you're looking at it differently and contingency planning and thinking about Q&A for those instances. So as we watched QA evolve, there was great momentum that we created. And I luckily finished on a very winning track record for nine months. I think it was 11 jobs in a row that we won. And again, it takes a lot of people's work. That's not just me. That's a lot of great pre-positioning. But it also felt like it was a calling to the screaming in my head that said, there's more out there for you. And you're never going to be the coach you want to be if you stay internal. And that was a hard thing for me to leave. That was a hard thing to build something within a great organization that you're still holding high regards as one of the best builders in the nation, frankly, in the world. To actually want to be in the fly on the wall of the other folks and how they understand their value, how to play against each other. I'm not one to kiss and tell. I believe very much in confidentiality, but I knew I was never going to grow unless I left and started listening to others. And it was bittersweet, but I still do a lot of work with that firm and still have a lot of great friends over there and stay in touch with a number of folks. So I don't feel like anybody's lost anything. I feel like we've all grown and evolved and become better in our own right. So it's been a fun process, but I, I didn't really feel like I had much of a choice. And that was a tough place to be and a courageous, scary place to be. But as I look back, I wouldn't have changed anything in the decision I made. Congratulations on being in business for over five years now. Because yeah, right. <laughs> being in business over one year, I know it's a challenge. <laughs> we talked a little bit about that offline too. That's right. Uh, so why don't you why don't you talk us through? So you had this inclination at Keywood where, hey, you know what? The way that we're presenting this information, technical and non-technical information in these proposal meetings isn't as going as well as it could be or should be. And so you yes. have this hypothesis inside of Kiwit. It works out successfully inside of Kiwit. And now you leave Kiwit. You're out on your own. What was the market's reaction like? And how have you grown the company and your offering over the last couple of years? To tell you, if I go back to that reason why I felt so strongly about forming something, I would hear these stories about where certain teams would fall down in the moment and not exactly know where they were going. When I announced I was coming out as a consultant, I think so much of that network and just, you know, I, I don't want to sound full of myself, but I knew I had a lot to offer to my network. And a lot of those folks had seen what I could do in the moment running up to these critical moments. For me, the industry welcomed me with open arms. And I have been really blessed and fortunate never to have that freak out moment that I hear a lot of consultants have of, am I going to make it? Was the phone going to ring? Am I going to get enough business to sustain this? Or am I going to have to go back to a corporate setting and take a job and be okay with that? And I've been real fortunate to always have the phone ring and be turning down a lot of things. And a lot of folks have focused these days on how do you grow? So I look at it as lucky and the industry needed it and told me they needed it. <laughs> and then the pandemic hit. And I think about my backstory in stage production, video production, how everyone was freaked out about Zoom meetings and team meetings or a client interview in that format versus live. And how you have to plug in all these things together and get the optics right, 
the production quality, even what you're doing with your eyes and your hands right because they're in a frame now and you're not flailing all over out of the frame. And I turned around and did a bunch of free trainings for the industry in that because I didn't want folks to think that just because of my backstory, I was an absolute in that conversation. We wanted to empower the industry to take charge of that. And you saw a yeah. lot of great companies do that. And you saw a lot of scared companies hide behind it. But I can tell you every single year, even through the pandemic has been a banner year for our firm. And this year is no exception. So that's been the best part is watching my own growth, revenue growth, starting a new business, and everything has just been trending in, in a wonderful direction. And I just literally feel like I was on this trajectory going slow and steady to holding on to a rocket ship and doing my very best to keep a good grip. So you experienced, what do they call that product market fit when you, so they say you're pushing a boulder uphill and then you're chasing it downhill. So you experienced yeah. that pretty early on then, huh? Yeah, it never felt like I was pushing a boulder too hard. I always think that the folks out there who are over-marketing that I see real prominent in the marketplace aren't busy enough. And I have been lucky enough to stay real steady throughout the last five years. So now we've got a first world problem of how do we grow? How do we build in different business lines to inject some of the brain trust back into the industry? How do we help fuel an industry that is resource poor, that needs a lot of good people in the right place? And so we've taken on some new challenges within the business line to satisfy the greater pursuit cycle versus just my niche of shortlist interviews and trying to remember that pre-positioning wins jobs, not just interviews, and good people win jobs, not just interviews. It's just a tipping point. So if we can help cultures grow, hit their strategic goals, really thrive into the future, we want to be with those companies that we fit their culture, they fit ours, and it's going to be a dog-eat-dog -dog world. So we just have to not help everybody but help the people that help us and create those partnerships in the strategic way that makes viability for all of us into the future. Yeah. And so you've supported some big brands and I'm like, and I'm sure some smaller brands too. So sure. you have a good feeling of what good marketing feels like. So walk me through some of the differences of when someone knows of the company and what they do and some of the people versus where they're coming in a little more cold and how much harder your job is when you run into that situation? Yeah. Number one, I think the best marketing is word of mouth and what others say about you. Yep. It's never about your corporate colors or how strong your logo is or a lot of the brand mechanics that we're taught when we learn marketing. Your brand is your reputation. Your brand is how you show up. And if this was always a conundrum of whose brand do you even push? Do you push your own corporate brand or do you make it look and feel like the client's brand? And for me, I always gravitated to that because I wanted them to know that we listened and fed them back some of the things we heard, that we made them feel special. It's not necessarily about marketing your own self and service. You have to be able to sell differentiation between your group of people. But the other side of that is that experience you create for someone that you've spent a crazy amount of effort and 
showing them their job, that creating visuals that show that you understand the job, that you have something to talk to, that even the campaign around how you target this client is for them. It's not for any one entity. And then you start breaking down the business even further into joint ventures and how you're blending brands there to support someone else's brand. So the conversation around that gets pretty interesting and pretty dynamic. And I don't think it's about size. I don't think it's about small firm versus big firm. It's about how do others talk about you? And how do you show up with a track record and a story that beats the competition? And I've taken small firms and beat very large firms in certain places and vice versa. And every week I'm defending a joint venture or a sole source competitor, and there's reasons to choose both. So I think more of it is about knowing your client, knowing about what they want, and really active listening along the way. It's not about brand. It's about giving them back what they asked for. And I think it's really easy to get caught up in the minutia of brand. And I have to work with large companies with big branding departments and regimented protocol that says, I can't break the line or I can't put these logos too close together because they don't, you don't want them to look like partners. You have to keep a line in between them. No, but I don't want to get trapped in the argument of should this be your corporate green or color of the client? Yeah. I think you've got to get all that stuff out on the front end and pursuit marketing is very different than just corporate marketing. So you got to understand the difference between those two. And it gets to be a pretty dynamic conversation for every single pursuit and every single market, because infrastructure is different than energy. Vertical is different than water. I mean, if you start to understand the subtle differences and which ones are price driven, where your brand may really stand out from your corporate side versus the quals driven stuff that is all based on feeling, emotion, the intangibles, all of a sudden, you know what you want it to look like over here. You want them to be pulling that in, not gravitating to your corporate stuff. So know your audience is the bottom line. The the second you start getting good at that, you get good at feeding it back to them and convincing them you're the right choice. That's that's interesting to me because I think a brand further to the left, I guess, if you think left to right from project lifecycle, when a potential customer has that problem, who do they think of and why? And how do you think of how they can solve it? And so my whole thing is if long before like you're involved, I want them to associate certain things with that logo or that organization or that group of people. So when you go in to pitch your stuff and tell your story, you're building off this foundation (laughs) of information that we've already communicated. And I also like how you discerned between this big corporate logo and branding and what you need to do as an individual business unit. And I think today there's even more of an opportunity where through social media, your brand can, can represent itself across all those business units with that top brand being more like the logo kind of stuff. But I don't see as many AEC firms embracing that or being aggressive with that strategy. Why do you think that is? Because they're protecting their reputation and their own brand. And even though it's unique, I don't think that's an outward facing pitch. It's very internal, very specific. It's not, there's even governance over what we can talk about and when. So the way you strike with your corporate brand versus the way that you foster those internal meetings that can't be published out to the public, I think you got to understand the differences there. And you can absolutely play both sides. 
but one is strengthening, strengthening the bigger perspective out on social media and the optics of what the industry sees versus what the client feels. And there's a difference because you want all of those people seeing your brand and saying, that's a great company. And you want them to tell you and others, that's a great company. So it, it turns into this kind of back and forth and this organic cycle that, that happens over time. I think a lot about what you just said in a question every single week that I prep teams for. How do you measure success on a job? This is a very common question we get in interviews. And the old adage for contractors would be schedule, budget, safety, quality. I say all of those are nice, but those are a given. Those are your job. Those are the bare minimum. That's the baseline. So how do you convert that answer into, we were top of mind for your next job? You had such a great experience that when your next procurement came out, you knew that we had to have that RFP. And you couldn't envision yourself working with someone else because you had such a great time the last time around. Doesn't mean we're being presumptuous ever. You got to earn every bit of business that you get. But if you can start building a little bit of that foresight into your culture and that they're thinking about the future and the outcome and the strategy of how do we get to the next job instead of how do we get safety quality budget schedule on this job and the design arena they're not much different they've got their same protocols that they reach out to and gravitate to and high quality design and that we met our hours and that there weren't gaps in that design same thing goes to architecture you can keep peeling it back but I'm just waiting for the industry to know that the best answer to that question is the future. It's not what you're going to do for the job now. Yeah. That's just built in. You should be that good if they're saying nice things about you. <laughs> I love when I hear a marketer talk about the importance of word of mouth. I, I, my experience in the industry has been it's it's not a nuanced approach. It's either, Hey, our customers don't aren't on social media or, Hey, we can close multi-million dollar projects through a website. It's no, there's something in between there, like word of mouth at a hundred percent. If you go out there and you don't perform good work, I can't help you get your next client. But if you right. are performing good work and you have stuff that you're about, I can help you match with other good fit clients that don't know as much about you. But it seems like there's the industry leans towards one or the other. They want to do something where it's, Hey, everything needs to be measured. Like it's a, like it's a B2C product or yep. none of this stuff works. It doesn't have an impact. We could do nothing. We would still get these projects. And it's, there's a new, there's a nuanced way to go about it. When you look at the human behavior and the way that humans act and the, frankly, the consequences of these projects, there's a high level of trust. And so the quicker you can establish trust and prove it, the more opportunities you're going to have to choose whether That's you it. don't or don't want to accept it, right? Absolutely right. And if you think about word of mouth, I built my whole business on word of mouth. I don't market my services. I want to go from one to the next. The folks in our business want to do the same exact thing. The way we qualify for jobs comes from letters of recommendation, quotes people say about the way you are, the way your team was, the way your company showed up and responded to something, even the way you recover. And a lot of firms don't even think about the question around bait and switch, or can we move someone off of 
a key job to the next job because the industry is all fighting for their top people to be in positions on these org charts. So you start to understand it's not always bait and switch if perhaps there's been unforeseen circumstances on a job and it's late or that something happened. And we always talk about succession planning on a job and how important growing people on mega work is. But we forget about that. And we forget about asking our clients to help us initiate that succession plan. So we're not ever lying to them or keeping them in the dark on how we're going to resource things. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough to see a lot of proposals and org charts, but unfortunately I do run across similar names in similar places and we're all trying to guard against that, but we're all trying to win a lot of work at the same time because there's so much out there. So it's a balancing act of knowing how to explain that to a client and how to create an opportunity out of that versus a tripping point. Yeah. And when you face those tough situations, when you face those tough questions you're going to get, when you get good at those, it makes everything else seem really easy. But you got to stick to the backbone of integrity, honesty, good business, transparency is another one. All these buzzy words that I have to use every single week that <laughs> drive me nuts because I say collaboration way more than any human should. But unfortunately, it's part of the business. I, I just joke about it because no one ever says to their wife, hey, honey, you want to go collaborate? It just doesn't work. So why do we force it into business? All right. So I could talk to you about digital marketing and AC marketing forever. I think we probably need to record another episode. This one's running a little long here. And I want to no give sweat. you some time here at the end before you talk about your best routine or habit. So you help clients right now during the pursuit phase, but then you've also started up another part of your business that you didn't talk about here. Why don't you talk about that a little bit and let people know how to reach out to you. And then we'll end with your best routine or habit. Yeah, you bet. Email is the same for all of it. So if you're going to reach out to me, Josh at RainmakerAEC.com is the place to go. So feel free to reach out on anything pursuit related. The new business we started about a year ago is called Rainmaker Talent. And it focuses on the senior end of the business from project manager, superintendent, design manager, lead architect, all the way up to CEO. And we don't ever want to conflict or contend with recruiting departments. We work with smaller firms that don't quite have huge recruiting departments that need help injecting leaders into their culture. We always say we want to complement recruiting. So if you have a unicorn you can't find, if you have a position in a new place and somebody decides to leave or something unfortunate happens and we have to mobilize quickly, we can do that. So we source about 40 to 50 positions a year at the upper management level and really pride ourselves on helping people love where they stand. And that's our mantra. I've been lucky enough to love where I stood my entire career and following my dream of becoming an interview coach and consultant and a firm owner. And now we're growing into these other pieces of the business. We get a lot of calls from my clients and now I don't have to just make jokes that they're looking for a unicorn. We actually get to go hunt for them and find them and put that person back in the business. That's a really exciting thing that's going on. My, my partner, Jared Smith, he's a long timer in the business, been 
doing recruiting and headhunting, the upper echelon of AEC for the last decade. And he's got 10 years behind that working for large engineering firms. So we're excited about Rainmaker Talent. And we're starting to bring on some other industry minds uh, who are looking at retirement. And there's more that should be coming up out on social media within the next month or two. But we're trying to get, like I said earlier, that brain trust of the industry and these retirees who get to the end of the rope at corporate and they say, I'm not done. I don't want to go fish and golf every day. I think they're crazy for saying that, but I think you'd get bored if you got too good at both of those things. But you think about all that brain trust and how these companies need it. And if they keep training and keep their finger on the pulse of some of these big firms, I think it makes that growth and transition from the associates to the principals to the younger generation who's going to be leading the, the firm in 10 years. It helps them have a senior person there for maybe five, six, seven years into the golden years where they're still contributing back. So that's what we're focusing on is those that advisory side of the business, the talent side of the business, and of course, the strategy of winning and what it takes to close the deal. So that's, that's where our firm is at. And I just don't know too many other firms that offer all of those things. In fact, some of my mentors come from big professional services firms, and they're starting to ask us for help in finding people because they said, we don't do that. That's a good idea. So I think there's something to it. And it is going gangbusters right now. And we're just doing our best to keep up. So that's the fun part about growing is when it comes, <laughs> you just got to run hard and take what you get and figure out how to prioritize time, resources, sanity, all those things. <laughs> So if your large pursuit support, if you need help training your pursuit team, business development or proposals and marketing, and then also I think what an accurate way to describe it be boutique talent acquisition, where yeah. if you're going after a specific type of persons for a specific type of role, you can augment yep. and help HR teams be able to do that. And then also leverage your network as well. That's right. And you got two of the most well-connected people in the industry out there hunting for you. So there's a good chance that we're going to find the right people. And unfortunately, I look at the industry as there's a lot of people out there who aren't happy yeah. or who are looking for a transition or who haven't found that right place for themselves. We don't just help individuals. Companies call us to go find the individual. So I, don't, I want to make sure we're clear that all the people who hate their job aren't calling us. But at the same time, when the companies really need someone that's going to be a long-term employee, we want to be one of those first calls. Can I help your business model a little bit? Yeah. If you're upset and you don't like your job, absolutely reach out to Josh. So his network <laughs> of talented people that are looking for opportunities comes to Rainmaker. So Rainmaker Talent would love to hear if you're a disgruntled executive. <laughs> I'm not saying we don't get plenty of those calls. <laughs> I'm just saying we don't act on them unless they have a C attached to their title somewhere. <laughs> I gotcha. All right. So that's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of conversation yeah. for the next time. Why don't you take us out with your best routine or habit? Okay. So if I, it's really hard for me to zero in on one because routines and habits are an important part of every interview prep, every pursuit strategy, every hire, 
I'm going to go against the norm on this question just a little bit. My best routine or habit is to blow things up and turn them upside down on their heads every single time. People say, I want your process in interview prep. I want you involved in all these things. But every pursuit, every group of people, every message, even if the last job was the same scope and the same type of job, it does not mean you're going to create the same dynamic or have the same opportunities within that. So instead of all the contractors and engineers out there that want to hit rinse and repeat and stay fluid and just get stuff done, production's important. We can just reuse this, repackage that. We can just pull this thing we did before. I'm not saying that every company can't get away with that a little bit, but I like every single pursuit to be custom. And I like to shake up things because when you shake things, sometimes nuggets fall out that you need that you didn't realize you had before. And if we get complacent, you're just going to start sounding like everyone else. So if you miss that one opportunity to create an edge for your team because you hit rinse and repeat, shame on you. So that's my best practice. And my habit is no matter how many times you've done it, and I'm at like 477 on interviews coached, I still blow it up every single time and say, what are we missing? Where are the gaps? How do we frame that differently to be powerful? So we know by the time we get to the end of the game that we put our best foot forward and we can stand by that. So I agree with the philosophy, but honestly, I struggle sometimes with some of the repetitive things I do. What's your best tip for keeping that beginner's mindset? It depends on how much success you're having. And I think that no matter how many times you, you do this, there's always something to be learned. I think about the greats over time. And I like using Denver Broncos players as a simple analogy, just because I'm a Denver kid who grew up blue and orange. But I think about the story of Rod Smith, who was the captain of the team captain of the offense and through every training camp he ever went through, he was terrified to walk up to that locker and open it up and see that piece of red tape hanging there. Guy's a perennial all-star. He's one of the, he's in the hall of fame, one of the most decorated receivers in Denver history. And he was concerned about getting cut. It's not the rinse and repeat. It's not the beginner's mindset. It's the, Always pushing to be great and never, ever saying, I did that and I'm just going to repeat it. You got to push yourself to be different and grow. You got to push yourself to question, am I at the top still or is somebody trying to knock me off? And is there someone out there who's getting better either because of me or because they figured out something that I haven't? So that mentality for me has always kept me on the edge of my seat and proactive about playing offense and never on my heels playing defense. And that's why I say, I mean, that turning it on its head, that push every time, that extra effort, even though you're like, hey, it's more time. Time's money. Money's billable. I got to stay billable. <laughs> if you spend an extra hour and you uncover the magic each time, then you're not going to have to work quite as hard because people are going to see it. But unfortunately, starting a business and some of those repetitive things we have to do, that's part of it. So I just tell you, once you get to the point where you've made it, you can go hire a business manager or 
an assistant or something to take off the load of that minutia work and a lot of those details to keep you out in front. And that's what growth should look like in a company is taking away the things you don't want to do and staying circled around the things that you love. Yeah. I like that because it's not necessarily a tool as much as it's like a mindset where it's That's right. having that. And I think people, I, this is a different conversation, but people, they get too concerned about being insecure instead of embracing yes. their insecurity of, Hey, you know what? I'm actually not the best in the world at this feeling like I'm not at the best in the world. This is going to fuel me to become better than I am today versus saying, Hey, I'm good enough. And then being confident and riding with that, that's, that's a right. better mindset than saying, Hey, I'm a little insecure. And I, I think we had that backwards, but that's good. I appreciate that. Good advice for everyone. Yeah. too. What's interesting. You say a little insecure and I say in, insecure contractor or engineer, they dive into the process and making it better and getting the details right versus diving into the intangibles and the, and the things that build trust, the things that give them confidence in the way that they speak. If you can get them to have that shift away from process to story, then you got it. But I always, I say it every week, process doesn't sell, stories do. That's what resonates with people. That's what sticks. So if you get good at that, you're raising your chances every single time. Love it. Tell good stories on that one. We're out here. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, pal. Appreciate you.